So our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, first chapter. We're going to begin in verse 1 and go through verse 11. Uh, it's found on page 1080 in your pew Bible. If you showed up today and you didn't bring a Bible, you don't own a Bible, there's a one uh, black one in the pew in front of you. Uh, it's our gift to you. We don't want you to leave here without the word of God. We believe it's that important and that powerful for your life. Um, take it for you. I'm often asked, what's the best version of the Bible um, to read, uh, to study? And I say, well, whichever one you'll pick up every day. So um, if the ESV is not for you, find one that is for you. Find one that you'll go into daily. Um, because it doesn't matter the version. It matters that it's his word. So make sure you get into it. Uh, before we get started, let's go, and go ahead and have a word of prayer. Oh, holy God, we come to you this morning, and as we enter your word, we ask a blessing upon it. We ask a blessing upon this time as we hear your message. We ask that the words I use be your words, and the meditations of all of our hearts be Acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're going to be in Acts. Uh, we're going to take a, a, a sermon series through Acts for the next little bit. Uh, it, it's going to be different than Hebrews. Hebrews was a letter with this author writing this thing over and over trying to get his point across. Acts is more of a recorded history of the continued ministry of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And so there'll be some variance to it and we'll see some changes. And so we're gonna go through Acts for a little bit uh, because for the last 18 months, really, we've been doing nothing but gospel stuff, gospel clarity, understanding the gospel being clear and how we understand the gospel so much so uh, we almost all have Romans 5, 8 memorized by now. You may not know it's Romans 5, 8, but it's but while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, proving that God does actually love each and every one of us, and we understand the gospel to say that because of Jesus Christ's efficient and supreme work on the cross and because of his resurrection, we are holy, spotless, blameless before God. We were once children of wrath, but because of our faith by grace through Jesus Christ, we have been adopted children of God. And for that, there is no greater thing worth praising. And we understand that with the gospel, it's not that we get saved from sins. It's not that we get heaven because heaven and forgiveness of sins without God is all meaningless. And what we get with the gospel is we get God. Unfettered, unencumbered access to God. Hallelujah. Jesus says that uh, my father has a mansion and, he is, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. See, we often hear that and bring great comfort that we'll have a place in heaven. But what we often skipped over is that it's his father's house. And we're not just going to go live in his father's house without the father there. We get to go and spend eternity with the father because of what Christ did. And so that's the gospel. We've been 18 months diving in, dissecting that, holding on to it, exalting it, beholding it, and lifting it up, celebrating it, and all we do. And so now we're turning the page to Acts. We're going to see that after Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, what happens next? How did we get here on the beach in 2019? And so it all began, I mean, we're nearing like 2,000 years since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're getting really close to it. So it, it's appropriate for us to study our movement itself, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, began in the frontiers of Kentucky back in the early 1800s. 
And it was done so as a restoration movement, that they took seriously the New Testament and wanted to restore the, the church in the United States back to its original way and meaning. That's why we get the name restoration movement. We wanted to restore back, and, and Acts is a primary role in all of that for us. And so a, a few things before we dive into the scripture, I'm going to make you keep your Bibles open as long as possible today, folks. See, Acts was written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. If you're unfamiliar with the Gospels, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're not about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the authors that wrote them. And Luke is one of those authors, and he also wrote the book of Acts. Luke was a, a physician and a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul who writes all these letters that we read about when we read about the Apostle Paul. And we'll learn more about him as we're in Acts. And Luke is... a was a Gentile. He's the only uh, Gentile to write any books in the New Testament. And in fact, his writing is so expansive, he wrote as many chapters as the Apostle Paul. But his pages and his words are so much more. He wrote the most out of the New Testament out of any other writer. And so because of that, Luke has this, as a Gentile, has this understanding of salvation that is central to all of his writings, whether it's in his gospel or it's in the book of Acts. And for salvation, for Luke, there's three things that he really lifts up about salvation. The first is that salvation has been prepared by God. The second is that salvation is bestowed by Christ. So God prepared the salvation. It's through Jesus Christ that we receive it. And then that salvation, because he's a Gentile, this is an important one. The third one, because he doesn't come from within the Jewish culture and it's not just part of redeeming Israel, he has this third point, that salvation is offered to all peoples. Salvation is offered to all peoples. These are important for Luke as he, as he writes his uh, gospel account and as he writes the book of Acts. So now we can enter into the scripture. Let's go here to verse one. He writes, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while saying with them, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when, he had, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here ends the reading of our scripture for this day. And so while you have your Bibles open, we can go back to verse one and two, right? Because you left them open. I told you we're going to hold them open for a while today. We're going to learn how to use these things. So in verse one and two, 
In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke's word choice is important when he writes. When he says all that he began to do and teach, he didn't say all that he did. So his first book that he wrote, the gospel account according to Luke, isn't everything that Jesus did. See, he's telling Theophilus, this person that he wrote the gospel to, that he's also writing these acts of the apostles, he's telling them that Jesus didn't finish his ministry when he ascended to heaven, but rather his ministry continued. See, for Luke, the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven is a huge turning point. It's a huge demarcation of of before the ascension that it was Jesus's earthly ministry. And after the ascension, it's Jesus's heavenly ministry by the power of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. And so that's what he's recorded. It isn't that Jesus began and finished his ministry and then went to heaven to sit and wait. It's that Jesus Christ is a living God who has sent his Holy Spirit to be alive and well within you, active even in 2019. And so for Luke, this is important. So when we read Acts, Luke doesn't really want to start with what happens at Pentecost. He starts with the ascension that we read in verse 9. He he reads there and says, And when he had said these things, they were looking on and was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. See, this wasn't at the end, but it was the beginning. See, we turn back to Luke in chapter 24. That's the last chapter of his gospel account. And at the very end, in the last verses, beginning in verse 50, he writes, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them and parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. See, he ends his earthly ministry by ascending to heaven and then he begins his heavenly ministry by ascending to heaven because Jesus is not finished yet. His kingdom has not been consummated. He has not come back to restore the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. But that we're in this already but not yet. The space in between where we wait and he tells us that we don't know the time or the season that the Father has fixed. See, the ending is the beginning, and the story continues. The story continues on, but before Jesus leaves the disciples, he gives them final instructions, final marching orders to carry out this ministry. He says, first wait for the Holy Spirit, and then you will go and be my witness. But he gives the final instructions to those whom he had chosen close to him, the apostles who were at this time the only representatives of the church. They were the ekklesia, this Greek word meaning people called from the world to God. But they were this faith community. And so the very instructions he gave to the apostles are applicable to the church today to go and be his witnesses. He's clear on that, to go and be his witnesses. But we can read Acts and say, what exactly is it that we are to witness to? See, we're not privy to the inside conversations that were actually happening with the disciples and Jesus in that moment, except for Luke wrote two books. And so again, we can turn back to Luke 24 and and begin in that 44th verse at the very end there. He says, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, when we read in the New Testament that Jesus is teaching the scriptures, and we'll read in Acts that the apostles are teaching the scriptures and applying them to people, they're talking about the Old Testament. See, the New Testament hadn't been written yet for them to go and teach people. And so they're talking about the Old Testament. They're teaching Genesis and Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. They're teaching Psalms. They're teaching the law. They're teaching the history. They're teaching all of this and how it points to Jesus. So just as all that time ago we went through Isaiah 53 and saw how it points to Jesus, the entire Old Testament is this shadow, is this giant arrow pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. And when they teach, they teach the scriptures and open eyes to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. So it says that he opened their eyes as he taught them the scriptures and he said to them that it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. So here in Luke's previous writing, he clarifies exactly what we are witnessing to. We are witnessing to the fact that Jesus Christ dwelt among us, lived the perfect life, died the death we deserve to die. In the shedding of his blood, he put the perfect atonement for our sins that three days later when he rose to the day, rose from the grave, he sealed his promise of forgiveness of sins for those who would come to faith by grace through Christ. And we're to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that turned us from children of wrath to children of God. The gospel that broke down every barrier, every boundary that was in between us and God so that we would have God for now and all eternity. So when we begin questioning what is it we're to witness to, we're to witness to the gospel. But in the Greek, this word witness is also translated to mean martyr. And so as we read Acts, it won't surprise us to see that the apostles each would end up being martyred, giving their life for the gospel itself. Because the gospel is what they were called to give their life for, to witness to all the nations, he said, beginning in Jerusalem. But how did we get to these instructions? When we read closer in Acts, we see that Jesus was just answering a question. It says here in verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? The kingdom to Israel. The disciples ask a question. Restoring the kingdom of Israel. Restoring the kingdom to Israel. They're still thinking earthly things. They're still thinking of temporary things. And Jesus is about to ascend into heaven to the right hand of God, not to come until he comes to consummate his kingdom. I imagine this, use some holy imagination here, but Jesus gives a big old face palm. Are you kidding me, disciples? We're this close to me not being here anymore, and you're still not getting it. You're still thinking earthly, and it's not. But Jesus doesn't judge questions, does he? 
He never told anyone you asked a bad question. There's no such thing as a bad question with Jesus. He just merely answers in a way that redirects it to fully understanding, to broadening their understanding, opening eyes. And so Jesus says this. He says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power by the Holy Spirit and it has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so in Jesus' response to the question about earthly kingdoms, he reveals two truths about the kingdom of God. First, he reveals that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom not found on a map. Go ahead, get your cell phones out. Ask Siri, where's the kingdom of God? How do I get to the kingdom of God? She'll point to you to two places in Jacksonville that have kingdom of God in their name. And when you tell her, no, that's not the place I was looking for, and you get through both of those, she'll say, well, place doesn't exist. I don't know how to get there. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom not found on any map. See, the promise of the Holy Spirit is in reply to the question of kingdom, showing that God's kingdom is built with Holy Spirit power, excuse me, Holy Spirit power, not worldly power. That God's kingdom grows with witnesses, not with soldiers and politicians. God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom not found on a map, but spreads through the Holy Spirit and the proclaiming of the gospel. How do you build the kingdom of God? Go tell someone about Jesus and let God build it himself. We're merely called to tell people about Jesus. And through that, the Holy Spirit has rested upon us and the Holy Spirit pierces hearts. The Holy Spirit changes minds. The Holy Spirit does the work. We get no credit and all the blame. But that's how it works with God. But I want to give you a word of caution. Because sometimes we can fall into a trap of of over-spiritualizing the kingdom of God. And the fact is that the gospels and the teachings of Jesus have very real and radical political and social implications for our lives. That the kingdom of God values will collide with secular values. And I'm going to ask you all to pay attention here for the next moment. If you have, if you've dozed off, come back because I'm about to get political. I'm going to get the most political you'll ever hear me from the pulpit. Kingdom values will collide with our secular values. The teachings of Jesus and the gospel have very real social and political implications. The Bible speaks that the kingdoms that we know of this world will turn to dust and fade away. We also know that there are faithful Christians who identify as Republicans, faithful Christians who identify as Democrats, as Tea Partyists, as Green Partyists, as Independents, and any other party you can name within our political system. And we are called as Christians to encourage and build one another up in the growing of love and the growing to maturity as followers of Christ. We're not to demonize other sides because what are we fighting over? A temporary kingdom in which Jesus responded to the very disciples wanting to know about the kingdom 
to Israel being restored, and Jesus changed his answer on them. See, we're to encourage one another, find the commonalities of our kingdom values that we share with one another, that there's no either side of an aisle, that there's Christians as the body of Christ working together to bring glory to God, not to have a fist fight with ourselves. Kingdom values will collide with secular values. But we all have different ways our value system works. And we make choices based on that, on what's most essential and where we identify at different times and seasons of our lives. So we are not to vilify someone because of that, but rather encourage and love and grow in maturity. Political ran over. So that's all you're going to get from me. So the first thing about God's kingdom that Jesus reveals is that it's a spiritual kingdom. The second thing that Jesus reveals about the kingdom of God in his answer to the disciples is that it's an international kingdom. There's no borders, right? The apostles asked about the kingdom to Israel and, and they desired this really nationalistic kingdom. And Jesus's answer broadened their horizons. He said, witnesses in Jerusalem... In Judea and Samaria, and we know how, how they thought about Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. And what we'll find here with the disciples in Acts is chapters 1 and 2, they're in Jerusalem. 3 through 11, they go to Judea and Samaria. Chapters 12 to 28, in the end, they go to the world, and it ends in Rome. But the story continues. See, in the Old Testament, as people of God, there is a perspective of concern for the nations. Concern for the nations. They were concerned about them. Essentially that God had made them and that they will come and bow down to him. There wasn't a mission to them. There was a concern. They had knowledge and understanding. God created them and they will come and bow down to him at some point. Till then, there are enemies. There is no mission. John Stott says the resurrection is the turning point in which Jesus gives his people a universal mission to go and disciple the nations. We can read it in Matthew 28. We call it the Great Commission. Go, therefore, to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all of my commands. And in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 15, he essentially says the same thing that Matthew wrote in his gospel. And then we just heard in Luke at the end of his gospel, after Jesus is resurrected, his and final instructions, this great commission, this great mission that we're to go on is to go and proclaim the gospel to the nations, beginning in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. God's kingdom is international. There's no borders. It's to go to all the nations. See, this, this word, all the nations, to go all the nations is important. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, in the 13th chapter, he writes this as I turn the page here. He says, as he's giving, um, uh, he's giving the disciples how to foretell when the end, of the end of the age is coming, he says this in verse 10. He says, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. The Gospel of Matthew in the, in the 24th chapter in verse 
14, as he's giving instructions about the end of the age, it's recorded that Jesus said this, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We don't know the time or the seasons that the Father has fixed, but we have been given a mission to go from where we've been planted to the ends of the earth with the gospel, witnessing to the good news in Jesus Christ. Because the end will come. Jesus will come again, it says, when the gospel is proclaimed to all the nations. And the story continues. There's a group organization called the International Missions Board. Uh, they're, they're a pretty big deal. They train missionaries and, and help churches support missionaries that go throughout the entire world. Uh, they keep track of, of the nations to see how close we are to reaching the nations. But in the 21st century, we don't really call it the nations. We don't have this understanding that, you know, we've had someone go proclaim the gospel in India, therefore we've reached all of India. Rather, instead of calling it nations and borders as we understand, they call them people groups. And so they keep a statistic on the number of unengaged and unreached people groups. And currently there's 3,170 unreached unengaged people groups in the world. That represents 246,182,141 people still have not heard the good news of Jesus Christ. There's not even a missionary near them to tell them. Jesus Christ is still working his heavenly ministry through missionaries and the local congregations today. In 2018, evangelism became a national story when John Allen Chow, a 26-year-old, went over to North Sentinel Island in India to evangelize the Sinhalese people. Now, he went there illegally because if he had told the Indian government that he was going there to go to North Sentinel Island and evangelize them, they would have denied his entry. And then he illegally went to the island. It was illegal for him to go, and he got some fishermen to go drop him off. And, a, and he knew the dangers of doing so. And upon his arrival on the island, it is told that he stood there and said, God loves you. And before he could say anything else, he had been martyred. But he knew that the gospel needed to be witnessed to all people. The same conviction that Luke, the author of Acts has, that salvation is offered for all people. John knew the risks that he was taking. He wrote them down in his journal. The, the America, American media and pundits took sides, some saying it's ridiculous that that sort of thing is happening and others praising it. I find that it's something to be admired, the conviction of a young man willing to lose everything so someone else may know Jesus. See, here at First Christian Church of the Beaches, we support Scott and Jenny Phillips. They're missionaries over in Southeast Asia. And they have to, if you've ever heard their story, they, they go through vine bridges to get to this tribe. And they prayed about it, and we prayed over them, and and we support and encourage them every time they make their trip back to the States. But they, they go to this group of people that had never been reached with the gospel. 
And then as they get to know them and they begin telling the story of God and, and using the language and, 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 and trying to connect with them, they then see that after they tell about Christ, they reply to Scott and Jeannie Phillips that there had been prophecies for ages that a pale skin would come and tell them of a great hope. Wow. Salvation is prepared by God and bestowed by Jesus and offered for all people. Missionaries are still needed. And so we need to add asking for God to raise up missionaries in our church, in our community that could be sent out to the end of the earth to go reach these groups because the story continues. We have been commanded, commissioned to witness to the gospel. And Luke writes this, And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way you saw him go. And so they went. They had been sent to all the world, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. But the story didn't end in Rome on the 28th chapter. The story continued all the way through 1945 when a group of people gathered to begin worshiping and call themselves First Christian Church of the Beaches, and it was planted. The story continues. And here we are worshiping, 2019 and beyond. Where will the gospel go next? Our vision for 2025, for the next six years, this is our vision. We've talked about it in elders. Now it's time to let everybody in on the big bag of secrets. We're going to go on two fronts. We're going to continue here at our beach community, continuing the Christ-exalting worship gospel celebration we're going to continue to be a fixture and a stalwart in the community that reaches those in need for the glory of Christ. We're going to continue to pour into our kids' ministry, and we're going to, our youth house over here, you're going to hear about it later this year. We're going to tear it down and build a new youth facility over there that we can reach more kids in the name of Jesus because we know we have a growing generation that doesn't know them. So we have a great responsibility here on the beach to tell them about Jesus. And we're going to also grow our discipleship groups here so that we can mature as Christians and we can be disciples who will then go make other disciples. And then on the second front, we will leave the beach and go plant a Hispanic campus in Jacksonville. Within the next 18 months, this campus will become very real. They'll begin worshiping over there. Jacksonville is currently the fastest growing Hispanic population in all of Florida. When Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico two years ago, we had the resources and the opportunity to be able to get um, help over to them, and we have shipped over 15 containers to get in there. When, when nobody else was getting into Puerto Rico, even FEMA wasn't getting in, First Christian Church of the Beaches was there with care and supplies right away to get into Puerto Rico. 
And so because of that, we have developed quite the relationship with Michael Morales, who's the president of the Disciples Denomination over there. And we've also developed relationship with all the Hispanic pastors here in Florida and a really close one with Hector Santiago at Iglesia del Norte in Orlando. And it's through those partnerships that we have come to realize there are over 36 Puerto Rican disciples living here in Jacksonville. Some of them will travel all the way out here to the beach, but it's a long way for them to come and worship with us. Others will travel two and a half hours to Orlando to go worship at Hector's church because there's no Spanish-speaking disciples church here in Jacksonville, that there's this growing people group needing the gospel. And so with a partnership with Puerto Rico and with Hector Santiago's church, we will be planting a campus. With the goal by 2025, it will be able to be its own autonomous church. So for a while, we'll have two campuses. It'll feel strange. It'll be uncomfortable for us. Salvation is prepared by God. It's bestowed by Christ. It's for all people. We're to be sent. We're to go. And the story will continue with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into 2019 and beyond, we thank you for, for the call to continue to pour in this community and our kids and the adults and those in need. We're humbled and scared and excited for the call to go plant a campus, to reach another group so that we can release them and they can go plant another church and we'll see where God calls us next. Lord, we're gonna rely on your spirit because we know this is part of your heavenly ministry as you build your kingdom for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.